Welcome to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and CFRC.ca. I'm your host, Timmy G, providing your weekly dose of insight and inspiration for mental and emotional well-being. Are you ready for your weekly brain bath? Let's go. Mental health news from around the globe. Welcome to Talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. This from Nicole Fisher, contributor to Forbes.com. Can one small town doc change the way we diagnose mental health conditions? When it comes to health and tech innovation, people have spent years talking about how Gen Z and millennials, along with their Silicon Valley startups, are going to disrupt the health ecosystem. Those in the know have been fond of claiming they are going to be the next Uber or Airbnb of health. And everyone is scrambling to be at the forefront of personalized medicine. But the truth is, our most basic health needs and care requirements have been known for a long time, with mental health being at the core of both better health and better care. Despite nearly one in five U.S. and Canadian adults living with a mental illness and mental disorders being reported as the most costly medical condition around, Americans and Canadians tend to separate mental and physical health from one another. But after more than 20 years of specializing in child and adolescent psychiatry and more than 70 clinical trials as a primary investigator, Dr. Nelson Handel is among the voices in public health advocating that mental and physical well-being are intrinsically tied. That's why in the small town of Dothan, Alabama, Dr. Handel and his team have quietly set out to do research see patients, and use the ever-growing clinical data points of patient history and experience to create an online portal for physicians, mental health professionals, and patients, all with an eye to do assessments, standardized questions, compare results, and develop treatment plans based on individual needs. In place of buzzwords and flashy slogans, Clinicom has slowly and steadily, over more than a decade, built a database of more than 35,000 patient assessments. Using those as the basis, algorithms to assess potential conditions and severity were created for patients to do at-home assessments before ever setting foot in a doctor's office. The team claims this saves significant time and money for both doctors and patients by allowing a remote, honest, unbiased assessment of patient psychiatric information based on standardized questionnaires, DSM-5 criteria, community benchmarks, and expert opinions in real time. Further, it can suggest multiple psychiatric conditions alone or together. While the results are not an official diagnosis, Clinicom asserts that it can comprehensively screen for 52 mental health conditions using 26 possible chief and secondary complaints. According to Dr. Handel, it also provides an analysis of suicide and violence risk and warns of possible traumatic brain brain injury, if applicable. In July of 2018, Clinicom published the results of a study to determine the specificity and reproducibility of its software to appropriately diagnose five prevalent disorders, including ADHD, Generalized Anxiety Disorder, major depressive disorder, 
obsessive-compulsive disorder, and social phobia. The online tool was, quote, overall 78% concordant in diagnosing the same disorder during a test-retest analysis. When subjects exhibited two, three, or four disorders, the tool was less consistent in diagnosing the same set of disorders during the test-retest analysis. However, if evaluated as individual disorders within subjects, the more persistent disorders had a higher rate of concordance. Major depressive disorder was 83%, ADHD 81%, and OCD 68%. The conclusion is that the algorithms used by Clinicom in its online assessment tools are pretty reliable in determining both a patient's type of psychiatric illness and the severity among common psychiatric illnesses. Thus, potentially cutting down on the number of clinical visits for diagnosis, bringing access to remote patients more easily, and providing assessments in languages that are often neglected in traditional care settings. In this, uh, September of 2018, Clinicom was accepted in the App Developer Program with Epic Systems Corporation, the largest EHR provider for hospital, hospitals in the world. Given that hospitals using Epic software hold 64% of U.S. medical records and 2.5% of patient medical records worldwide, not to mention Epic's decision to roll out a behavioral health module, and the coming months could prove very prosperous for Clinicom's ever-growing database, with each new entry providing deeper and richer information about mental health. While they avoided public announcement and grand claims in the press, Clinicom has now made readily available to all large hospital and health providers using Epic software the behavioral health module designed to also be used by smaller psychiatric practices. Even better, it can be used in a range of languages, incorporating patients who speak Spanish, Portuguese, and Italian. According to Dr. Handel, we're very serious about our research and global reach in helping people with mental health disorders. And his team in Alabama believe that through pending and ongoing partnerships with the University in Alabama and health departments and agencies in Puerto Rico and Italy, as well as inclusion in EPIC's system, the coming year will prove just how valuable an ever-learning system like Clinicom can be for those wanting to access mental health tools in real time anywhere in the world. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. This from, where are we? Harvard Business Review. Five Ways Bosses Can Reduce the Stigma of Mental Health at Work. Uh, let's see. At work, those suffering from clinical conditions or more minor ones often hide it for fear that they may face discrimination from peers or even bosses. These stigmas can and must be overcome. But it takes more than policies set at the top. It also requires empathetic action from managers on the ground. We count ourselves among those who have wrestled with mental health challenges, the authors of this article. One morning a few years ago, in the midst of a successful year, Jen couldn't get out of bed. As a driven professional, she had ignored all the warning signs that she was experiencing PTSD. But her mentor, Diana, could see something was wrong. 
and when Jen couldn't come to work, the gravity of the situation became even clearer. In the ensuing weeks, they worked together to get Jen the help that she needed. Diana understood Jen's struggles because she had been there too, not with PTSD, but with anxiety. As a mother of adult triplets with autism and a busy job, she'd often had difficulty managing things in her own life. Throughout both of their careers, they've moved across the spectrum of mental health from thriving to barely hanging on and somewhere in between. What they've learned through their experiences is how much managerial support matters. When bosses understand mental health issues and how to respond to them, it can make all the difference for an employee professionally and personally. This involves taking notice, offering a helping hand, and saying, I'm here, I have your back, you are not alone. That's exactly what Jen said when a co-worker told her that he was grappling with anxiety. It got to the point where it was starting to impact his work and his relationships at home. He came to her house because she'd been open about her own struggles. She listened to him, worked to understand what accommodations he needed, and told him about, about available resources such as employee assistance programs. Then she continued to check in to see he was getting support and to make it clear that she and others were there to help. How do you learn or teach the people on your team to address colleagues or direct reports mental health issues in the same way? Here are five ways managers can help drive a more empathic, excuse me, empathetic culture. Pay attention to language. We all need to be aware of the words we use that can contribute to stigmatizing mental health issues. Mr. OCD is at it again, organizing everything. She's totally schizo today. He is being so bipolar this week. One minute he's up, the next minute he's down. We've heard comments like these, maybe even made them ourselves. But through the ears of a colleague who has a mental health challenge, they sound like indictments. Would you open up about a disorder or tell your team leader you needed time to see a therapist after hearing these words? Number two, rethink sick days. If you have cancer, no one says, let's just push through, or can you learn to deal with it? They recognize that it's an illness, and you'll need to take time off to treat it. If you have the flu, your manager will tell you to go home and rest. But few people in business would react to emotional outbursts or other signs of stress, anxiety, or manic behavior in the same way. We need to get more comfortable with the idea of suggesting and requesting days to focus on improving mental as well as physical health. Number three, encourage open and honest conversations. It's important to create a safe space for people to talk about their own challenges, past and present, without fear of being called unstable or passed up for the next big promotion or project. Employees shouldn't fear that they will be judged or excluded if they open up in this way. Leaders can set the tone for this by sharing their own experiences, as the authors have done, or stories of other people who have struggled with mental health issues, gotten help, and resumed successful careers. They should also explicitly encourage everyone to speak up when feeling overwhelmed or in need. Be proactive. Not all stress is bad, and people in high-pressure careers often grow accustomed to it or developing, develop coping mechanisms. However, prolonged unmanageable stress can contribute to worsening symptoms of mental illness. How can managers ensure their employees are finding the right balance? By offering access to programs, resources, and education on stress management and resilience building. 
In our marketplace survey on employee burnout, nearly 70% of respondents said that their employers were not doing enough to prevent or alleviate burnout. Bosses need to do a better job of helping their employees connect to different resources before stress leads to more serious problems. Train people to notice and respond. Most offices keep a medical kit around in case someone needs a bandage or an aspirin. We've also begun to train our people in mental fur- mental train people to notice and respond. Most offices keep a medical kit around in case someone needs a bandage or an aspirin. We've also begun to train our people in mental health first aid, a national program proven to increase people's ability to recognize the signs of s- uh, someone who may be struggling with a mental health challenge and to connect them to support resources. Through role plays and other activities, they offer guidance in how to listen non-judgmentally, offer reassurance, and assess the risk of suicide or self-harm when, for example, a colleague is suffering a panic attack or reacting to a traumatic event. These can be difficult, emotionally charged conversations, and they can come at unexpected times, so it's important to be ready for them. When your people are struggling, you want them to be able to open up and ask for help. These different things can help any boss or organization create a culture that ceases to stigmatize mental illness. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. If you want to access past episodes of Talk, simply go to the CFRC Podcast Network, easily Googled, and check out past episodes on a variety of topics that you will find interesting. Our last article for today comes from cbc.ca, how farming can take a toll on mental health. Food producers face specific challenges that can lead to anxiety. Pig farmer Stuart Skinner says he's come a long way since the day he sat in his barn in Listowel, Ontario, hope I pronounced that correctly, and contemplated suicide. The swine industry was slumping. He worried too much about keeping up with the Joneses, and when the rooster crowed, the last thing he wanted to do was get up. Lowest point of his anxiety and depression, he said, came that day in the barn in December 2012. I'll never understand everything that happened, but I had a little voice, a bit of a voice in my head saying, you don't want to do this. He will be at the upcoming PEI Potato Conference this week to talk about mental health struggles that can affect people who work in agriculture. He said farmers and other food producers face specific challenges. I think the biggest one is ultimately we're trying to manage a biological system of which we don't control all the variables. And when things are out of your control, that can get kind of difficult to manage. Last year was a particularly difficult season for PEI farmers potato farmers, a late spring, dry summer, and cold, a wet fall left some crops damaged and unharvested. Mother Nature does not worry so much about our mental health, and that can be a big part of it, Skinner said. He went on to say farmers are also feeling increased pressure to justify their practices to consumers. Farmers at times, I think, sometimes are feeling under attack from general society, and that can definitely wear on you as well. Skinner said building a business to his own strengths and weaknesses instead of trying to farm the way everyone thinks a farmer ought to farm helped him manage his anxiety. I'm not going to be the farmer that gets up with a crowing rooster at 4 a.m. 
That's not who I am. And for a long time, I was embarrassed of that and tried to say, you know, I've got to be like everyone else. Instead of saying, you've got to farm like grandpa did, let's try to figure out how to build a business that can still make food for people, but takes into account the way that we're wired. He said sometimes becomes envious of the people around him, but a trip to Kenya a few years ago also helped put things in perspective. He realizes how fortunate he is to live in Canada and now tries not to let his professional successes and failures influence his personal happiness. Skinner, who writes a blog at the Modern Farmer Project, said he's not trying to tell people how to go about their business, but rather sharing his own experiences in the hopes of starting a broader conversation that can help others address their own issues. He goes on to say, There's a lot of people saying there is no stigma in seeking help, and sometimes people just need to hear that for the 18th 18th time before they think, you know what, I need to seek help. I'm going to seek help. The PEI Potato Conference will be held in Charlottetown. It's open to all producers on PEI and other people in the industry. They will also be sharing information on sustainability, technology, and research. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web, cfrc.ca. Back in a minute. In 2017, CFRC Radio celebrates 95 years of creating Campus Community Radio in Kingston, Ontario. Over the last 95 years, CFRC's governance has evolved. Once supervised by Queen's University and later by Queen's Alma Mater Society, since 2014, CFRC has been an independent, self-governing, not-for-profit organization. Its board of directors has representation from Queen's University, the AMS and SGPS, CFRC Radio Club, and the Kingston Community. Learn more about CFRC, Canada's longest-running campus and community radio station at CFRC.ca. AMHS KFLA's vocational services connect employers with skilled workers recovering from mental health challenges. This free program offers individual assessments, job preparation training, and placement. Employers are matched with qualified, reliable workers and receive ongoing support for hires as they lead their lives in positive new directions. For more information, call 613-544-1356 or visit amhs-kfla.ca. Welcome back to Talk. I'm your host, Timmy G. Today's topic is forgiveness. As some of you may know, I released an album a few months back under the artist's name, Forgiveness G. The G standing for my last name, Goche. If you want to check out the full tracks, you can do so at www.forgivenessg.com. All 12 tracks are there in their entirety. And so why did I choose forgiveness for today? Well, it's often our personal experiences that drive what is most salient in our lives. And so, as I reflect back on the last three to six months, it seems that the universe or God has been playing with the the dance, the dance of irony has been forced into my life. Many situations calling on what I feel is the need to forgive. But I've, I've begun to look at forgiveness through another lens over this last six months as well. And so initially when I wrote my book, 
which you can get for free if you come to Mindwell, support group that I run every Thursday night at 1111 Taylor Kid Boulevard. That is St. Paul the Apostle, 7 p.m. in room E. If you come to that group, part of the group is receiving a free copy of my book, which details uh, some mental health episodes that I went through years ago and what I did to move through that. But in that book, forgiveness really, the way that I viewed it then, and I guess was encouraged to view it by some different speakers or authors that I was looking into at the time, is is that forgiveness is really this kind of this major event where there's a handful of people in your life that you need to forgive and that once you do that, then you will let go of that emotion, that negative stuff, and you will be able to move on down your path in a better way. And and certainly there was some of that through the uh, forgiveness exercises that I went through back years ago. But that's not the full picture. And I think a lot of people may look at forgiveness and think, oh, no, I don't have anybody to forgive. There's no no major incidents that have happened in my life that I really need to forgive anybody for. But the lens that I've been looking through and I think been compelled to understand forgiveness in a different way over these last few months is that it, it doesn't necessarily mean calling up your teacher from grade four and telling him that you forgive him for speaking crossly to you during soccer practice or something a parent did or or a friend or a, a past uh, relationship. It can involve all those things, but it's also the simple day-to-day experiences that we have that that pull out our emotions and can leave us feeling a little bit grudgeful. Is that a word, grudgeful? Feeling full of grudge. Holding on to a grudge toward another person. And so, if you think of us as each having an emotional bank account, and you can only... With withdraw and deposit so many positive and negative emotions at any given time in order to maintain kind of a balanced account. But if if you're being if life is is pinching you, it's bumping up against you. So it begins in the morning, you're trying to pull out of your driveway and your neighbor doesn't doesn't stop to let you. He just blows on by, he or she. <laughs> or obviously on the highway, you you go to pass somebody and then they scoot out as well. And so, so all these little moments, you're standing in the grocery store line and you think you're next and someone comes and steps in front of you. Or you're at home and your kids are being disrespectful and and you are feeling a little bit resentful toward them. Or your partner, your wife or your husband says something or doesn't do something for you that you expected, you thought was going to happen, and instead of addressing it and then putting it to bed, 
you don't say anything. And so these all these little grudges kind of build up throughout the day and steal from your balanced emotional bank account. And they any any little grudge that isn't properly dealt with contributes to this growing ball of resentment and bitterness in our lives. And the wonder in our eyes goes from feeling connected to the magic and the beauty of life to gradually but but deliberately kind of moving toward where we're kind of feeling jaded. And we're kind of feeling maybe like we can't we can't trust life in the way that we used to be able to. We can't trust the people around us, even the people who we think care about us or love us. We can't trust them. And so we start to close off a bit. We're, we're not as vulnerable with them. We don't share as much of what's going on with us. And so we become a bit like an island. But on our island, we've got all these buckets all over the beach. And each bucket doesn't even have to be a big bucket. It could be a small little bucket. And in that bucket is, is a grudge that you feel towards somebody. And you may have forgotten about it, but if you didn't deal with it, if you didn't process it properly in a healthful way when it happened, person in the grocery store line or whatever, or a, or a more significant thing at home or at work, if you don't process it properly and actually feel yourself letting it go and, and feel yourself kind of resume, return to a place of lightness and feeling good about things, then it's it's somewhere within you. It's building up. And so you've got all these little buckets on your beach, on your island, that are all contributing to this toxic sludge that is poisoning you and, and creating bitterness. And so it's it's important to recognize that forgiveness can be forgiving three or four people who who were instrumental in bringing trauma into your life could be that significant or it could be the guy in the grocery store lineup or the woman who you held the door for someone and they walked through and they didn't even acknowledge that you were holding the door for them and so you're like huh you know so all these little things contribute to building up our resentment toward people and toward life. If we don't deal with it, it doesn't go anywhere. It's with us. But then our, what it does to our emotional bank account is that we don't have much left. We're not very, our, our, our reserves that allow us to be resilient and to not be too concerned about the person who cuts us off or the person who buds in line or whatever if if we're in a good place if our emotional bank account is in a in a really healthy uh status then th- those things can happen and and we just kind of can lap them off a little bit and just chalk it up to people being people and and not let it ruin our night but when when our emotional bank account is getting so full 
because we're not dealing with all these little grudges that happen throughout the course of the day, throughout the course of the week. And not only do we have less energy to do the things that we want, but we're just less pleasant, generally. We become more cynical, sarcastic. It's kind of our new MO. We're just, we're just bitter. And we may not express it all the time, but if you're not dealing with your grudges, it's there inside you. So what do we do? How do we begin to process these things and, and begin to, to look at the essence of forgiveness, not just in terms of this grand ceremony that we need to go through, but, but how to let go of little things every day, every week, so that we're feeling light and we can continue to move through life and feel excited about things and feel capable and and feel trusting of life, trusting of the people around us, people we know, but also people we don't know that live in our community. How can we continue to feel trusting of all of that, all of that space? And so one thing that I've had to do is identify and be honest with myself about all the little situations that have happened recently three to six months. For example, maybe sending an email to someone, someone who we both know was expecting to receive my email and maybe there's there's no response or there's a phone call and there's no response and feeling just a little bit angry and frustrated, like, whoa, how can you not respond why aren't you responding you this is this is the expectation that we've set for this how this is all going to go and and you're not there and you're not you're not keeping up your end of the bargain and so i'm i'm frustrated about that i'm irritated and so letting it fester letting it just be there and waiting and waiting waiting for someone to get back to you. Someone who said that they they were going to get back to you. And they don't. And so how do you not let it fester into eternity until the day arrives when they remember to or have cleared off enough of their plate that they now have the time to? So sometimes we just have to take power back into our hands and just deal with the situation. And so maybe that means sending a, a closure message or or maybe not even sending a message. Just just deciding for yourself that I'm not going to sit and wait and continue to stew on this. I'm gonna send a message and say, you know, obviously something's come up for you. Um Thanks anyways, we'll, maybe we'll reconvene at some point in the future and kind of put it to bed so that you can move on and, and deal with that, that grudge that's just kind of creating a wedge between you and this person. And who knows why they haven't got back to you? We don't always know. Sometimes it's for very good legitimate reasons and sometimes people are being disingenuous when they give you a response and tell you one thing and that's like 5% of the truth and 
that they're using that to justify their own behavior. And so those people maybe you don't want to be associating with all that often anyway. And so it's probably in your best interest to kind of close the door and bring a sense of closure to it. So I encourage you to think in your own life and be aware, starting now, as you're going through your day, all those little moments where you can see a hint of a grudge forming before your before your eyes and within your heart and to be honest with yourself because if you're not processing it actually it is affecting you in a negative way it may be subtle but all these things compounded over the course of the day and then the week and then the month and then you wake up a year from now and you don't even really recognize the person you were because you're bitter, you're disappointed, you're frustrated. And so you've got to take some power back by re regaining control over certain situations and just deciding that you're, you're going to stop carrying the bucket of, of sludge. Could be a very small bucket of sludge, that toxic black sludge for each little grudge, could be a small little vial the size of a chapstick stick, but it's there, it's in your back pocket, it's weighing you down, and maybe in the beginning, it's only two or three chapstick sized vials, and so it's barely discernible in your back pocket, but eventually, by not learning the skills and, and acknowledging the importance of dealing with your small little grudges, eventually that's going to be a huge weight on your back. Maybe it leads to burnout. Maybe it's time off work. Maybe it's the end of a relationship because you become so bitter that you can't even see clearly you can't even see clearly the things that are that are good in your life. You've become so clouded by so many of these other things. And now your relationship is ending because you're just toxic from A to Z. And what a tragedy that is. We have to be proactive with these things. And it's hard to be proactive and, and regain control and bring a sense of closure when we feel justified in waiting for somebody to come and acknowledge us. It's hard to... It's hard to feel that we should have to do that. But the reality is, is if you want your vitality back and your energy back, that's just simply what you have to do. You have to decide that I'm going to be a mature, wise adult and I'm going to release these grudges. And part of releasing these grudges is just being honest with ourselves about what we're feeling and why we're feeling it. I'll give you a small example. I won't go into too much detail, just out of respect for other people involved. But there was a situation where I was invited to do something. And uh, and so there was an initial connection in person and then an initial connection through email. And then I followed up with this uh, organization for, for, for almost four months without any further response from them. And so finally, after 
chasing. I just, for my own sense of peace of mind and sense of closure, needed to close the door on that and, and move on. And so and so I thought long and hard. I mean, when you're, you're not receiving a response from somebody for four months, you think long and hard about what you'd like to say to that person. And so, but I didn't, I just wanted to take the high road for my sense of self and not feel any regret, not not look back on my choice and think, oh, geez, I wish I had of not said that or whatever. And so I, I sat with it and I came up with, came to the conclusion that, you know, it's just important for me just to be honest, I'll be respectful. And so I was. And so really part of that message was just communicating that I was disappointed. And I was recognizing in my own life that all these little series of disappointments were accumulating and and they were paralyzing me. And I was just getting so fed up with the people involved, but then it was just clouding my ability to be around the people that I loved. And so there was several of these situations where I finally just said, I need to take control back, take some power back. I need to move on and I will send a message just to bring a sense of closure, not being arrogant or a jerk, just, just, just a message just to bring closure for myself and then I will move on. And it's it's certainly been hard. There are times where my mind has dropped dropped back to that situation, and I'll start to ruminate on it, ruminate on it a little bit, and then I'll catch myself and be like, "No, we need to move on." There's many other things in our future that are needing our attention. And my friend, great guy, we had a conversation recently about this, and he shared an experience of being in a job and feeling like he was working his face off and doing a great job and just there just wasn't the acknowledgement from certain people on the other side of the table about the work that he was doing and he was speaking with a friend this is the power of story the power of story in our lives he was speaking with a friend while he was still in this my my friend was still in this job this was a few years ago and his friend tells him the story of the two flies. So now my friend's telling me the story of the two flies because of what I've been going through lately. And he says, there's two flies. And there's a glass door. And they need to get out of this room because they need to fly free. So the first fly flies toward the glass door, bumps up against it. Thinks, okay, I'll try again. Keeps doing this. Backs up further. Well, if I just fly faster and harder, I'll be able to break through this door. Keeps going. And so the first fly continues this unto his death. Okay? And then the second fly starts out the exact same way. Going to bump up against this door. It's going to break open. And I will be free. Does it again. Does it again. This time he backs up further. It's like, well, maybe if I get a a flying start at this, it'll work. Tries it, doesn't work, backs up again. As he's backing up again, he decides to look up. And he realizes at the top of this wall, it's encompassing this glass door, is an opening. So he realizes in that moment instead of trying to break through the door, 
I'm going to use all the energy that I have left to get myself high enough to fly through that opening. And so within a month, my friend was giving, handing in his resignation and moving on to a better situation. And so for me, I've realized through trying to bang up against a glass door that's not moving, but trying to force it open, coming to the realization that if you're heading in a certain direction, down a certain path, and there's not movement within a reasonable time frame or acknowledgement within a reasonable time frame from other people with whom you have relationship around this situation, then you need to go in a new direction. There's no point in trying to kill yourself getting through the door or getting this person's attention or getting this person's acknowledgement. And so you need to just go in another direction. So that's what I've been doing lately with some things in my life, recognizing I've been the fly number one, trying to force the world to bend to my, my desires, and it just hasn't been working. And it's been taking a lot of energy out of me physically, emotionally. And so lately, I've been dealing with these grudges, processing them, letting them go, and, and moving on. So as I said, I encourage you to think in your own life, what have you been holding on to? Small little grudges. I'm not talking about major like forgiveness things here that, that last a lifetime. I'm talking about the day-to-day small grudges that build up, that are like small vials of chapstick in your back pocket. But they ain't full of uh, strawberry-flavored chapstick. It's, it's black tar in those little vials. And it's poisoning you, and it's coloring and tainting your entire worldview. But it happens so gradually and so slowly. These grudges, they're almost non-existent because we get so used to just dealing with them. And so because they almost feel non-existent, we don't recognize how subtly, but how deliberately they're building within our lives over time. And so it's almost like one day they're not even discernible. That's the power of them. One day they're not even discernible, but the next day we can't even stand up because of the weight of all of this stuff that we're carrying. That's how quickly burnout can happen. One day we think we're fine, we're on top of the world, we're making all the calls, we're doing it, we're getting the sales numbers, we're, we're progressing, we're getting a promotion, we're, we've got the project done, everybody loves it, and then the next day we crash. And so we have to get better at, get better as individuals at tuning into our own sense of where is my emotional bank account today? What direction is it tilted? And what am I focusing on? And what messages do I continue to tell myself about why my life has to be this way? Does it? Because we, we often thrive on drama. It's human beings. We're social beings. Drama is social. We, we can often get stuck in the drama. Quicksand of drama. 
So that adds just more fuel to our fire, to our sense of resentment, our bitterness, our frustration. And it weighs us down. And we're less. We're less to our, our loved ones, our kids, our coworkers, people who do love us, our friends. We become less for them as well. So those relationships start to splinter and falter. And I know I've repeated the same message a few different ways over the last 20 minutes, but I think it's important because I see a lot of bitterness out there as I go about my own day, recognizing a huge amount within myself over the last six months and recognizing, holy Lord, I got to do something about this because... I'm not enjoying myself. I'm not enjoying life. A lot of wonderful things in my life. A lot of great skills, but I'm not enjoying things right now. How do I how do I switch gears and get back to feeling empowered and optimistic and inspired and hopeful about what tomorrow brings? If we're waking up bitter day in day out, but but it's not. See, that's the key here, the subtleness of it. We don't, we don't always wake up bitter. We wake up like any other day. We get going, do the same routines in the morning, and then maybe it's one day it's 11 o'clock before that first grudge starts to kind of subtly envelop us. Not like a black cloud, but like a, a gray wisp. It's there, but it's almost, we can't even almost can't even really see it or detect it. And then by two o'clock, something else happens. It's like now that gray wisp is like a little bit bigger and, and maybe there's just a tinge of black in it. And so day in, day out, this becomes our MO, not recognizing that it's, it's weighing us down. So I encourage you, think about forgiveness, not necessarily in terms of this grand ceremony, but literally just about, not, 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 just, not just when I say just about, I don't mean that in a less significant way. I just mean, think of it mainly in terms of all the small grudges that I feel as I go, go through my day and my week. What am I doing with those grudges? Those little frustrations. Am I, as Forgiveness G's slogan says, Letting love in. Are you letting love in? Because the world does want to love you. There's a lot of people around you that want to love you. But if you're not letting love in, then it doesn't matter. Because you can't feel it. You're a shell. Protecting. Not willing to trust. Not letting the love in. You're listening to Talk on CFRC 101.9 FM and on the web. CFRC.ca This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.